0: Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 40,000 people have listened to Mark G. Richardson's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi,
1: I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to really help you take your business to the next level. I tend to focus on topics that are more business-related and certainly challenges and issues I'm seeing out there, not only in the marketplace, but with individual business. This podcast series is supported by my friends at Surefire Local, as well as professional remodeler, as as well as the National Association of the Remodeling Industry. This year, we have a new format. That format includes an opening kind of remarks by me on different themes and different topics that I think are really relevant to you, but also we're bringing on guests, guests not only that have their ear to the ground in terms of some of the key indicators out there and what's happening in the marketplace with Erica Taylor as well as Kermit Baker, but also we're bringing on some of the thought leaders, thought leaders that you know have really grown their business to the next level and have not only interesting stories, but also little nuggets of things that will be able to help you. Today, my theme I want to open with is kind of a simple little adage, but hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Now, I think most of you that know me and certainly know the podcast series, I tend to be relatively forward-thinking and certainly optimistic. However, the reality is that there are a lot of storm clouds out there. There's a lot of issues out there that I think you need to kind of keep an eye on. And I think as you really think about 2019, if you're not focused enough on the first half of the year and really making hay when you can, you might find that that second, third, fourth quarter starts to slip off a bit. And if you do see some slippage there, it may create a challenge for your overall year. So some of those key indicators that I've certainly talked about in the past that I want you to keep an ear to the ground on. One is home appreciation. Home appreciation isn't going up quite as quickly as it was, and therefore, a little bit flatter home appreciation does not necessarily create a great remodeling environment. Interest rates. While your clients are not all borrowing money, they definitely have an influence in terms of how the remodeling activity is. Certainly, the stock market and the kind of wiggliness out there Unemployment continues to be very strong. However, again, we might see a little bit of softening from certainly record uh, unemployment uh, that we've experienced in the past. So as you think about all these things, you know, certainly the political environment is, has caused us some angst as well. All these things translate out into s- some very specific things that affect your business, and I call them kind of more internal factors. One is the lead flow. Watch your lead flow very carefully. Compare it to 2018 over that same period of time. If, in fact, you're doing about the same amount of marketing efforts and, in fact, the lead flow is dropping off, it's really telling you something. Second is sales. Now, with sales, you're not only looking at a total amount of sales, but you're also looking at close rates. You're also looking at the average ticket. If you find that kind of changing, that may have some kind of uh, indication of what's going on. And also gross profit. Now, I've talked about kind of this cost crisis out there. But with that cost crisis, it's really creating, I think, some pretty serious challenge in terms of slippage of gross profit, which is then ultimately affecting the bottom line. So, What I think is critical in this kind of opening is not so much about the environment, whether it's internal or external, that you can't control. But I do think what you can control is preparing, preparing for the worst. So number one, I, I would encourage you to be a little bit more conservative this year with your forecasts. You know, my overall theme is be aggressive but realistic. However, I'm encouraging you to be a little bit more on the realistic side and not necessarily on the aggressive side. Number two, as I said earlier, is try to make hay in Q1 or Q2. Now, if you can get an extra 5 or 10% of what you're forecasting for the year in that first half, that's going to give you a little bit of an insurance policy for the second half of the year. Invest more in marketing. The reality is, is if you have better leads, if you have plenty of leads, you're going to be still hungry, but not necessarily desperate. And once you get desperate, that's when I think you start to see some issues, and certainly the business tends to be challenged. Number four is focusing on sales training. I think oftentimes when things are plentiful, we tend to get a little bit fat and a little bit happy in terms of our sales skills. We don't sharpen that ax. So by focusing more on your sales training, training in terms of doing role plays, training in terms of either bringing in outside trainers to try to help you or listening to some of the webinars and some of the videos out there to get better and better. Really make your sales meeting world-class because I think that, again, is preparing for the worst. And the last is what I'd encourage you to do is you know when it's tough out there, you don't want to be on an island by yourself. It's the best time to get an advisor or coach to be able to help you with your business. Now, this could be a local person. It could be a national person. It could be someone within the industry or outside the industry. But again, this is not a time... To out, be out there and not necessarily have the best advice and certainly the, the best access to what you need. So, I want to thank everybody for joining me today and stay tuned. We have a lot more to this broadcast coming up. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.
0: Would you like to learn about the best ways to position your home improvement business for success in 2019? Get a free copy of Mark's best selling book fit to grow the 12 business teams for growth. You can do so by emailing marketing at shortfirelocal.com or calling or texting 571-327-3391.
1: I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery, but just as much I want to thank those that support this particular series. Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to Spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Modeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that'll be able to help you with your business.
2: So welcome back to Remodeling Mastery, and with me today is a uh, very special guest and friend, Erica Taylor, who is the Director of Content with Professional Remodeler, certainly a great supporter, but also a resource, I think, for you to take your business to the next level. And like we did in previous weeks, where we kind of took a pulse and ear to the ground of what's happening out there, I've asked Erica to share maybe a few things that she's seeing out there in the industry and in the marketplace and certainly with remodeling. So welcome, Erica. And uh, so what, what, what's your, uh, what are your three things or what's your first thing that you're seeing out there?
3: So hi, Mark, glad to, glad to be here. Um, so I think that 2019 is gonna be a transitional year in a number of ways for the industry. And one area where I'm seeing some changes is the area of design. So I think for the last few years, we've had just an enormous amount of white. A kitchen might have a white backsplash and a white island and a lot of marble, kind of an almost an austere look. And what I'm seeing is, as we know, California frequently leads the country when it comes to design. And so when I'm looking for design trends, a lot of the time I look to California remodelers and I ask them what they're seeing. And what I am hearing more and more about is kind of this sort of mid-century modern look that people have been enjoying for many years, and this white is giving way I'm almost hearing a little more about an art deco approach to things where you might have some geometric shapes and then you might have like really sensual curves, maybe like a curve in a kitchen island or a really dramatic curve in like a fireplace. Um, I'm hearing more about some kind of opulence, some colors that are very a little more saturated, more intense. Uh, a lot of matte, a lot of black finishes that I'm seeing and this I'm starting to really see a contrast between black and white I'm seeing a lot more recently maybe the past few months and I think it's going to be happening more and more than I've seen in prior years and sort of parallel to that design trend another one that I'm noticing is kind of something that uh, you really see it a lot in the new American remodel and I encourage readers to take a look at NAHB's new American remodel for 2019 because it really exemplifies this trend, which the remodeler is calling organic contemporary. And it's a look as if everything is very much kind of of the natural surroundings, very, very textured. Um, A lot of things like we've seen it for years, a lot of sort of wood and metal, but it's being used in a very serene neutral, um, kind of inviting way. And there's this almost a sort of a locally, everything is sort of more locally sourced, kind of a farm-to-table sensibility. And I see that happening alongside with this kind of um, art deco, sort of glamorous, high-contrast geometric and curved shapes. So it's, it's cool. It's a cool time for design.
2: That is really fascinating. And, and I think when you kind of think of yourself or the remodeler thinks of himself, I mean, it's not only important to have your own kind of aesthetic in terms of what you care about, but I think keeping your ear to the ground too, as you say, California is oftentimes leading that curve. So I think that, that's really cool to hear about. So Erica, what else are you seeing out there?
3: So I'm hearing a lot of talk both nationally and locally about, you know, is there going to be a slowdown? What is that going to look like? You know, should I be concerned about it? And I've been talking with remodelers because, of course, remodeling is, at its heart, a a lot of local markets, right? It's just everybody, I think, is often very locally oriented. And so when you talk to remodelers, they they definitely have their eye on the national landscape, Um, I think, you know, not not long ago, you had Kermit Baker on the show, and he was talking a little bit about these indicators to look at. Um, And I think everybody is kind of keeping their eye out, but I'm still seeing companies investing in their businesses. Some of those investments are large, like maybe a new showroom or a new office, and that's something that's been in the planning stages for many years, so it's not as much of an indicator as how remodelers are feeling about a potential slowdown, but it's notable to see that those investments are happening. But some of these investments are smaller, maybe a new piece of technology, a new platform, some new equipment, and I'm seeing that as well. I'm seeing that remodelers are putting money back into their businesses, and I'm also hearing anecdotally that project sizes are not getting smaller, which is uh, the smaller project sizes is often an indicator of a slowdown coming. And I'm hearing remodelers say that that's not the case. So, you know, fingers crossed that, that um, we don't see much more of a slowdown than what Harvard is predicting, which is they're predicting 5.2% growth nationally, which is kind of in line with historical averages. It's a little slower, but it's it's certainly in line with what we've seen. It's, it's decent growth. So that's I,
2: I would also concur with a lot of the kind of a little bit more the uh, uh, not only the optimistic kind of thinking moving forward, but I also think kind of uh, consistent with what certainly Kermit was talking about as well, that. You know, I think you can really hope for the best, continue to invest, but you also need to kind of prepare yourself, you know, know at least what's that contingency plan if, in fact, things got, do change. So, so uh, really good to hear, I think, some of those insights. So, Erica, do you have anything else that you're, uh, you're seeing or feeling out there?
3: I I do, actually. There's um, an interesting trend I'm noticing with the labor market, which is uh, something that I'm seeing increase. It's a trend that's been going on for a while, but I'm seeing it increase rather dramatically, and I predict that it'll get even stronger for 2019, which is that, of course, we have as an industry making Herculean efforts to bring people into the industry. I see individual remodelers doing it. I see associations doing it private businesses. All of us want more people to join the industry. But there's also this incredible emphasis that's growing on increasing efficiencies on the job site to make up for the fact that it's hard to bring new people in and using products and services that are designed to cut labor in one way or another whether that means something that you maybe used to fabricate on the job site you no longer do or that fabrication is much less, or maybe that means um, something that allows you to have lower-skilled workers because this product or this service takes the place of having that skill. So that's a trend I'm seeing really grow. And alongside that trend, I'm seeing a lot more remodelers pay increasing attention to their workplace culture in an effort to reduce turnover and keep the people that they have and protect the, the, the workforce that they have working for them. And I think those are both fantastic trends. One's an example of innovation and one's an example of responding to a challenge in the market. And it makes, it makes, it makes me feel very optimistic to see it.
2: Well, I think those are very, very not only insightful, but important. And Eric, I want to thank you for uh, joining Remodeling Mastery today. And uh, again, for those of you that you know certainly want to read the, the magazine, you can reach out to Pro Remodeler and certainly have access to uh, Erica Taylor and many of the insights and certainly the things that are out there. Or you can also contact her because it's also great to. Uh, you know, reach back and certainly give her your pulse and feedback of what you're what you're seeing out there. So, thank you, uh, Erica, and uh, we'll speak again real soon.
3: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Would you like to learn about the best ways to position your home improvement business for success in 2019? Get a free copy of Mark's best-selling book, Fit to Grow: The Twelve Business Themes for Growth. You can do so by emailing marketing at surefirelocal.com or calling or texting 571-327-3391.
1: Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. I'm your host, Mark Richardson. And as you've listened to in the last few weeks, uh, we've been especially excited about this new segment that we call the Remodeling Thought Leader segment. Uh, We have a series of folks that Unfortunately, it's kind of a handful of folks in the United States that really what I would consider are thought leaders. They're people that not only have really paid the dues and figured it out, but they're also making it happen today. But just as importantly, they're looking out to the future. And that future, I think, while maybe a little bit sketchy for some, I think It's very exciting for others. So I want to welcome my guest today. His name is Larry Weinberg. Larry is one of the founders of one of the largest and certainly best known design-build remodeling groups in the United States out of the Washington, D.C. area, BOA. Uh, They have literally started the business, like many of you, uh, with his partner, Josh Baker, as a very small business and grown it to about a 30 to $40 million business in the Washington, D.C. area. So I, I want to welcome Larry, and thank you for uh, joining me this morning. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. So let's, let's begin with, uh, you know, something that might be a little bit light, but I think it's important, uh, and that is the name BOA. Uh, I think, you know, I've always thought, oh, that's such a clever name, but there's actually – as you shared with me many years ago uh, uh, a history to the name that doesn't necessarily relate to, you know, kind of a family name, but it does relate to kind of who you and your
4: partner are. Yeah. Well, and there's been some confusion because, you know, my name is Larry and there is a famous Larry Boa who is a shortstop uh, for uh, the Phillies and uh, especially people in Philadelphia uh, think there's a relation there, and people have called me Mr. Boa and Larry Boa, thinking uh, that there's some relationship, but there is none whatsoever. Um, there, were, there were three of us um, when we started. Uh, Josh Baker, Bob Odemark, Larry Weinberg. Uh, we went to the State Corporation Commission. There was already a Bo Builders or something like that, so we needed to make it Baker, Odemark, Weinberg, and Associates. Um, which sounded more like, uh, you know, an accounting firm <laughs> than a building firm. So that's why it, we became named, known as BOA, uh, just shortening uh, our last names and associates. Uh, pretty, pretty simple. We were BOA well, builders simple, for a while.
1: But it, it, <laughs> it, it's actually a wonderful uh, uh, kind of happenstance in that I think it's created, you know, a really nice, kind of thumbprint of a, of a brand. And, and, and I, I I think while some things, you know, just happen for different reasons, it's, it's, it's certainly interesting, but, you know, you talk to us a little bit, Larry, about how you got into the remodeling business, because, you know, I think many, you know, get in as a result of, you know, sort of passion for sticks and bricks and being craftsmen, but you, you kind of came at this from a little bit different angle. Right. Yeah. Um,
4: uh, So just briefly, I I mentioned before I get to that, we were BOA builders for a long time. Um, And uh, as we developed the design build uh, practice, we found that being called builders uh, was holding us back because a lot of people would assume, well, let me just hire an architect and then I'll call BOA builders. Um, So that's why we shortened it to BOA uh, uh, when that was Becoming more of a liability than uh, a describer, um, so just a uh, a little interesting fact. In terms of yeah. you know, how how we got into this, um, uh, you know, we didn't get into this business as sort of you know a family of builders or carpenters or tradesmen. We really um, were businessmen first. Uh, my background: I went to the McIntyre School of Commerce at UVA. So I was, uh, business was my passion, uh, and uh, Josh and I t- uh, were friends at UVA and talked about starting a business together back in college, uh, and it was uh, sort of a matter of doing some due diligence and looking at some different ideas. I had, uh, I had construction jobs uh, over the summer uh, a lot of times. I was a wrestler in high school and college, and Uh, my coach in high school, especially used to get us construction jobs just to keep us fit over the summer. So I had a little bit of experience in the industry. um, But we looked at uh, a few different uh, industries and ended up uh, uh, partnering with Bob Odemark, who had a small home improvement uh, business. uh, And the three of us got together and said, let's, uh, let's go into building, Uh, building and real estate development was our first
1: Uh, brainchild. Excellent. So, you know, you obviously came at this from a different angle, which I think is not only been extremely uh, fruitful for you guys, but maybe you can share, I think, uh, having that business perspective rather than the sticks and bricks perspective. What, What has it given you to help you guys grow and be successful?
4: Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been amazingly, uh, helpful. Um, I mean, especially in the early days, uh, you know, back in the late eighties, um, there was, uh, not as high a level of professionalism in the remodeling industry as there is today. So, um, it, it was, it was easy to differentiate ourselves just, just by being more professional. Um, but but more than that, um, I mean I, I've met a lot of remodelers. Um, some that have been successful, some that have struggled uh, over the years. And uh, it's interesting. It's it's often the business aspects that um, that hold people back. You know, I, people who are great builders and and. And, you know, know, are good with clients and are good client advocates, but can't manage the cash flow or um, being able to consistently make a profit every year, which, uh, you know, we, we talk about profits as being uh, as important for our clients and our employees. It's, you know, I, I call it the three-legged stool. You need, to, um, you need to be a great client advocate and deliver value. You need to be a great place to work you know, so that you can uh, attract the, the best and brightest and you need to be able to generate consistent profits in, you know, good times and bad. And if any leg of that stool uh, is weak, you're going to topple over. So, you know, that business side is, uh, you know, is where is where I came from. I worked for Arthur Anderson for a year before starting this business. So it's been helpful in that sense. And and the the one area that a lot of um, good tradesmen and people trying to start remodeling uh, businesses struggle in was was our strength from the beginning.
1: Well, you know, you bring up, I think, and I love your three-legged stool and encourage the listeners to really take inventory uh, with their own business in terms of the client advocate, the the place to work and then the, the health of the profitability is, is those kind of three key filters. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you are consistent. One of the things that uh, I know and kind of touching and working with a lot of different really, really good remodeling firms, but also ones that struggle, one of the fundamental differences is in that word consistency or predictability. And, uh, what are some of those either insights or tips that you have to become more consistent from a profitability point of view? Um,
4: well, that's a good question. There, uh, I mean, there are, there are a few different, um, I think things that help here. Uh, number one is our, um, Uh, you know, our, our desire to um, have consistent processes. Uh, We have a playbook, you know, that, um, that really documents the way we're supposed to do business, Um, you know, from design contract, you know, how to deliver great customer experiences from design contract through punch list. And uh, you know, at first um, look, Uh, you know, the first reaction is, wow, you know, we're inflexible, we're, you know, we're, we're restricted. But once you get into it, you realize, no, this is, these are sort of the ways we should, should be doing the best ways to do business. And there are always exceptions that people can, can, can use at times. But the fact that we have standards and processes, um, you know, instead of every new employee, you know, having to learn from experience and, when I say learn from experience, I've learned from experience um, by making a lot of mistakes. That's how you learn right. from experience. So uh, what, what we try and do is, is somehow you know, get that learning to happen without all the mistakes. And that's what you know, our playbook is meant. So playbook is, is one way we do it. Um, uh, our core values, um, which sort of pervade uh, the culture here, um, one of them is contin- continual self improvement. So we're always um, doing job reviews to, you know, what went right, what went wrong. Um, you know, that continual improvement is, a, is another way that we, we try to, you know, provide a great experience consistently across the board. So those are a couple of ideas.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I think that, that that's excellent. And, you know, you mentioned about mistakes. And, you know, I'm a big believer as I'm, you know, listening and and certainly talking to folks is I, I, I say, you know, if you could just avoid some of those mistakes, if you could just strike out less times, then your batting average and your success goes up. As you kind of look in the mirror with obviously, you know, decades of experience at this point, what are some of those kind of, bigger mistakes or mistakes as you reflected back, you know, great lesson learned, but boy, it it was a big pothole. I stepped in. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting.
4: Uh, I, I, I try and put mistakes out of my mind for the most part, except for the learning (laughs) that we get out of it. So, uh, I, I, try not to dwell upon them. I try to go to the positive, but in terms of the learning, you know, you have to, um, uh, you have to make sure that you don't do it again. And and, and I don't know how many times uh, someone will come into my office and, we'll, you know, they'll be talking about a project and they'll say, well, I was going to do such and such. I'll say, wait a second. You know, you could really step in a landmine because back in, uh, you know, back in, in the early nineties, we did this and it really hurt us that way. And, and they said, how do you remember that long ago? It's like, well, You know, I don't remember the specifics are hard, but the pain of the pain is uh, Sears into uh, into your mind when you you make a mistake and you and you kind of say, oh, my God, uh," you know, how do we get into this? Um, And a lot of it, um, a lot of it has to do with um, uh, making sure that we're a good fit for our clients you know, we're, we're a great builder for people who are looking for what we offer and what we do well. But, you know, one, one of the bigger mistakes or uh, recurring mistakes that we try to avoid is when we, um, uh, when we start doing, you know, going down a road with a client that um, either doesn't sort of want a client advocate or doesn't feel like they, you know, need somebody like BoA. Um, you know, we find that uh, the relationship doesn't work as well as, you know, there are thousands of people around the Washington area that are, that are looking for our particular expertise. So that's
1: uh, sort of one category of mistakes. You know, it's interesting. You brought in kind of that visit in your office and discussing a situation one of the more common ones I see that I, I think, knowing you and knowing you all, you do especially well, is it's very common for remodelers to often kind of what I call whale hunt. And their average ticket or average price project might be a hundred or $200,000 project. And all of a sudden, here comes the whale that is, you know, the $800,000 project that they're just salivating over and they're so excited and so excited. And of course, I try to discourage them from, you know, necessarily diving in and getting a whale on the line because it may sink the ship. And then right. usually nine times out of 10, not always, thankfully, nine times out of 10, you know, I circle back a year or two years later and say, how did you feel about that? And <laughs> almost all the time they're said, gosh, you know, that was painful. Yeah, uh, one yeah. of the things you so, do especially well, Larry, I do want you to touch on and, and please remark on that too, mm-hmm. is you know there is a difference between doing fifty thousand dollar projects and two hundred and fifty and eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar projects and one of the things I think that I've seen with you all is really recognizing it's not only the client that is different but it's the scale of the project that definitely creates different processes, different systems, different kind of mindset of how you approach it.
4: Right. Well, that's, um, that's one of the lessons learned. Um, and when I say it, the, sometimes the specific incidents of, of, of the mistakes um, aren't at the surface of memory, the lessons learned are there. Um, and one of the lessons that, that we learn that, that has helped drive um, The way we're organized now is um, so there are two there are two sort of factors. One is exactly what you said that there are different processes for a you know a handyman up to a sixty thousand dollar project. There's different from that between we have our classic design build, which is two hundred and fifty to about eight hundred, and then we have our we call it our custom division, which is. you know, goes up to many million dollars. So part of the reasons why we have different teams that both sell and deliver those services is that, yeah, your your processes have to be different. Um, your skill sets have to be different. You know, a project manager who's running a, or we, we call them project managers, others lead carpenters, who, who are running a $150,000 project have to typically have carpentry skills um, and, and, and work part of the time. Somebody who's running a, a $3 million project, um, you know, has a clipboard and a computer. So it's different skill sets. Um, but the other thing I've learned, so another competing force in that is just the size of teams. Um, you, you get to a critical mass where, you know, you're growing a group of people and then the working relationships get so much so complex because you're working with multiple designers and multiple production people and uh, you're not as efficient as, you know, an ideal team size that's smaller. So the way we grow is, you know, we'll grow a team or division, you know, our classic design or our custom. And when it gets to a a point that it's unwieldy, we'll, um, uh, we'll sort of prune off, a product which we're now doing with our condo division and then grow that as a team rather than have uh, a bigger team that does multiple prod- products because, you know, it gets more complex and the, and the processes get more broad and you're, you end up not being as good at any of the individual products. Um, when you're trying to do multiple things. Uh, I, I don't know if that was confusing. Does that make sense? The, the
1: no, effort? it does make sense. And I think it relates to a kind of a, a another comment or question, and that is one of the more common things that I get uh, questions from folks all the time is, you know, they might be a million dollars, they might be two million. How do I get to five? How do I get to ten? How do I get to twenty million? Obviously, what you and certainly your team and your partners have, have done is you kind of move through those altitudes of these different levels up into, you know, 30, $40 million in terms of activity. Any advice that you would have as people kind of move through these passages of these different scales of business, not just in terms of the project and the project team sizes, but also kind of wearing the business hat.
4: Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. And there's, there's a lot to it. Um, uh, I I think, if I were to boil it down, I mean, the the first thing I would suggest is, is that growth should be planned and not um, happenstance Because kind of as you described uh, earlier, sometimes, you know, growth can come, hey, I've got, you know, "I, I can do this big project or that or a little bit of commercial or a little whatever there's there's sort of that that you know that shiny ring over here that we grab to that we're we're not we 're not really prepared for that i mean to to have a growth plan um, and to uh, always uh, start thinking about your infrastructure in in stages like you know if if you 're a a million dollar company and you want to be a five million dollar company um, it's a different company it's a different you know, you, you go from having a few people that wear a bunch of hats to, you know, maybe some more specialized people. Um, so actually thinking about where you want to be and what is going to be different in how your company looks and then, you know, starting on a path to get that infrastructure, um, rather than, uh, sort of growing and then realizing that, you know, well, great. I've, I've grown, but uh, but the wheels are coming off because I'm not prepared for it. So
1: my my first suggestion you know, would be great. to plan. Yeah, and that's that's great advice. And I think the more, you know, you even think about it metaphorically, that you know, as you get bigger and bigger, you know, are those wheels? Is that infrastructure? Is that structure? The building able able to kind of carry that load? So let's let's kind of move into the final leg of our conversation, Larry. And you know, one common question I get uh, or think about is, you know, I think a lot that are really yearning for more success and and, and growth. You know, you know, in some cases, I think uh, they think, oh, well, that person was just in the right place at the right time. And other other times, it's 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 more about, you know, things that they do kind of very strategically in play. And I think you've commented about this, but, you know, how much of this is just, you know, again, luck versus just hard work? (laughs) Well, you know, the old
4: adage is when when sales are up, uh, it's because your salespeople are really doing something right. But when sales are down, it's because of the economy. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Now, so, uh, a couple of quick comments. I mean, there's another adage, you know, about the guy who's an overnight success. Uh, of course, he worked 20 years to become the overnight success, um, and I kind of believe in that more than anything. And in fact, uh, Jim Collins, in one of his books, it might be, it might be great by choice. You know, he's uh, he's written so many. Um, did a statistical analysis of luck, um, and uh he even showed you know the the companies that um everybody says were well, they at the right place at the right time um he he did analysis of other competitors in their space that were you know potentially in the in the exact same place at the same time um and didn't benefit from a good luck event or didn't um go out of business from a bad luck event and he Basically, proved that you know, good luck and bad luck happens to everyone. It's how you're prepared for it and how you react to it that uh, um, that makes the difference. Um, so, I, I certainly believe that. Look, we've been at the right place at you know at times. We also have gone through you know terrible recessions that uh, you know bad luck events that some people haven't survived, and it's really how you uh, plan for and react to that, those good and bad events that, uh, you know, are the key because, you know, you don't have to be a great businessman to get into business, you know, at the beginning of a strong economy and do very well and then go out of business, you know, when the economy goes bad, you know, if you can make, uh, you know, a decent profit in multiple cycles, I mean, then you're doing something right.
2: Excellent.
1: Well, I want to thank uh, Larry Weinberg, the founder of BOA, uh, one of the founders of BOA, for joining me today. And, you know, I think Larry has given you so many little insights and, and, and things to reflect on, but also some pretty specific takeaways and, and strategic kind of concepts and ideas. And, I, I, you know, I would encourage you to don't hesitate to certainly pass this Podcast on to someone else within your team that you're trying to get some level of alignment. And certainly, uh, if, if you have a question or issue, don't hesitate to reach back to, to me, Mark Richardson, or to reach back via Larry's website at BOA in the Washington, D.C. area to so Larry. I'm sure he'd be glad to help. Yeah, so thank you. You're so happy, Mark, Larry, be happy to talk to anyone.
4: Yes, well, thank you very much. It's been fun. Okay.
1: Take care. Thank you.
0: If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available in all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.